I'm Derek Alexander Pope, Managing Director of the Arc of Justice Institute, and welcome to Hidden Legal Figures. Each week, this podcast brings you the lost stories of the heroic and vital contribution that lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. This week, we continue our focus on Donald Lee Hollowell, and we're joined by Reverend Otis Moss Jr., who shares his reflections on the legendary attorney's role in representing the Atlanta student movement the desegregation of the University of Georgia and his representation of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When I reflect, when I remember the days of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, there is one person, one name, one individual who has to be recognized, honored, lifted up, Attorney Donald L. Hollowell. Otis Moss Jr. is widely regarded as one of the foremost principals of the civil rights movement. In 1960, this LaGrange, Georgia native was a student at Atlanta's Morehouse College. Taking their cue from the Greensboro Four in North Carolina, many Atlanta University Center students began protesting the discriminatory policies of Atlanta's establishments. The Atlanta student movement was born and Reverend Moss describes the counsel they received from Donald Lee Hollowell. Attorney Hollowell uh, came upon the scene at a time when we needed great, brilliant lawyers to do in the courtrooms of the land what some of us were trying to do in our marches and sit-ins and protests. Some of us had the opportunity of meeting him before we became involved in the civil rights movement. And we had the opportunity of hearing Attorney Hollowell from time to time as he addressed uh, various gatherings of student bodies within the Atlanta University Center. One of the times they really needed Mr. Hollowell came after one of their protests at the Georgia State Capitol. When I went to jail along with colleagues at the State Capitol, March of 1960, we were arrested by the state police. And for a moment for a good while, we were out of communication and they were trying to decide what to do with us. Uh, we had been arrested not on, not under the, the jurisdiction of Atlanta, but under the jurisdiction of the state. Donald Hollowell quickly went to work on their behalf and to get the curious charges that had been leveled against them dismissed. Attorney Hollowell put in, put out, uh, what is it called, an all-points bulletin to locate us, to find out where we were, what was happening to us, because there was some anxiety about our demonstrating at the state capitol in the first place. And uh, finally, the state police brought us to the city jail, and of course we were uh, booked or charged on disorderly conduct. We were orderly, 
well-groomed, well-dressed, courageous, demanding that which was right and that which is right. And we were the disorderly ones. But that mob that gathered around the cafeteria in the state capitol were the ones who brought uh, items like, you know, wood and lead pipes uh, threatening us. They were not arrested. They were considered, I suppose, the orderly ones. And they were, in a sense, thuggish. Reverend Moss recalls the personal sacrifice and selflessness of Donald Lee Hollowell in representing the students. Now, Attorney Hollowell was counsel for the student movement in Atlanta. And think about this. Our movement had no money, no legal defense fund locally, but Attorney Hollowell represented us in spite of that, utilizing his own resources. Now, often I say, I say often, that Attorney Hollowell represented us in the courtrooms day after day. It might be one of those rare examples of having no money and yet the best legal representation in the world. And we still owe him. Long before becoming a beneficiary of his courtroom skills, Reverend Moss remembers the first time he saw Mr. Hollowell in action. I first observed his presence, his action, his skill in a federal courtroom. I'd never been in a federal courtroom before. And he was, along with Attorney Constance Baker Motley, of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund uh, was a national representative and they were arguing the case of the late Horace Ward who was seeking to enter the University of Georgia. In September 1950, Horace Ward applied to the University of Georgia seeking to become the first black person to be admitted to its law school. His application was denied and the university said that he was not qualified because all of his degrees had come from Negro institutions. This despite the only requirement the university had at that time was that an applicant for the law school had successfully completed two years of college. By June of 1951, it became clear that I would not get admitted. I had refused out-of-state aid, and uh, the registrar had told me that my application was considered and was hereby denied. In uh, the spring of 1952, uh, after the rules had been changed, uh, we decided, at least I decided on the advice of counsel, that we would no longer seek to satisfy the new requirements, but would file a lawsuit. The presentation of the case was as exciting as that moment in history itself. Now, unfortunately, Horace Ward did not enter the university. 
The suit would drag on for years, with the university employing tactics of delay after delay. Sensing the undertaking was going to be fruitless, Mr. Ward chose instead to enroll at the Northwestern University School of Law in Chicago, Illinois. That's not the end of the story. He graduated from Northwestern School of Law with a Juris Doctorate degree and came back to Atlanta and joined the law firm of Attorney Hollowell and worked on the case that eventually desegregated the University of Georgia. To sit in the courtroom as a young person and see and hear Attorney Hollowell was an example and that special kind of historic moment that follows you and you carry with you. It was a history bearing moment for all of my days. There would be another history bearing moment that Reverend Moss witnessed up close and personal. It grew out of Mr. Hollowell's representation of the students, but this time involved Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I was in the courtroom in DeKalb County, 1960, when Attorney Hollowell was defending Martin Luther King Jr. on a minor traffic violation. Dr. King had participated at our request in the sit-in movement at Rich's department store. They were arrested under the moral pledge of jail without bail. I was given the assignment not to go to jail, but to carry on the leadership of the committee and to be a part of the negotiating process to fulfill the demands that the students were making. We negotiated with Mayor Hartsfield. He agreed to all of our demands and took on the responsibility of serving as lead negotiator with the department store leaders in the city of Atlanta. Therefore, all the students were released. The one strange, unexpected development. The police from DeKalb County were waiting at the county jail in Fulton County to rearrest Dr. King. He was advised by the sheriff that he would be safer. Think about that. He spent the weekend in the DeKalb County Jail, and on Monday morning, his trial was held in the courtroom of Judge Mitchell. Attorney Hollowell was his lawyer. Now, here we need a little background to understand exactly what's taking place in this DeKalb County courtroom in October 1960. 
earlier that year in May, Dr. King had pleaded guilty to operating a motor vehicle in Georgia without a valid driver's license because he had failed to get one within the 90 days required by law when he moved from Alabama back to his birth state. In September 1960, in a hearing before Judge Oscar Mitchell, Dr. King was ordered to pay a $25 fine and to serve 12 months on the public works camp. The sentence was suspended. He was placed on probation on one condition that he not violate any state laws. Now that Dr. King had been arrested in connection with the student protest, he was back before Judge Mitchell, who ordered him to show cause as to why the 12-month sentence should not be served. Attorney Hollowell said there was no precedent in the history of the state for an individual to be sent to prison. Public works hard labor, the Georgia chain gang, for a minor traffic violation for which he had paid the fine. But the judge and the prosecutor maintained that Dr. King violated a one-year probation sentence that we didn't know about not sure when that came in, and therefore that probation should be revoked and he should be immediately sent to state prison for four months. Public works, hard labor. And then in the wee hours of the morning, Dr. King was whisked away to begin to serve his sentence down in Reedsville State Prison. But... Before uh, Attorney Hollowell could appeal the judge's decision about 4 a.m. the following morning, they put chains on Dr. King's body and manacles on his hands and uh, wrists, put him in a police wagon and hauled him across the state 230 miles to the Reedsville State Prison. And at that time, the electric chair was housed at Reedsville, Georgia State Prison. Former Atlanta mayor and United Nations ambassador Andrew Young remembers it well. That was the worst night of Martin Luther King's life. They took him from the DeKalb County, put him in leg irons and handcuffs, laid him on the floor in the back of a paddy wagon with nobody back there but a German shepherd. And they drove him from Atlanta to Reedsville. That's 300 miles. There were no expressways then. 300 miles on bad Georgia roads. He never talked about that much. He mentioned how that was the worst night of his life. That night was, was hell on earth. And Don Hollowell went down there to Reedsville uh, to get him out. Mrs. Louise Hollowell better than anyone else, knew just what Mr. Hollowell's reaction was. When he got there, he said, uh, he said, I came to get a king out this morning, something like that, to that effect. And he said, well, he ain't here. And he said, well, what do you mean he ain't here? He said, well, they took him away this morning 
sometime. Uh, I don't know where they came the exact hour, but Don got the idea it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And they carried him down to the state prison. And he said, that's where he is. He ain't here, so you can't get him. Well, Mr. Hollowell didn't like that. You've asked me what other plans do we have in connection with Reverend Martin Luther King's release. Of course, this would depend upon whether or not the court granted our motion to vacate the order of yesterday. We would sincerely hope that he would grant that order and release Reverend King. If the court fails to release him, of course, we would take other steps to appeal or to effect a release of Reverend King from the Reedsville State Prison. However, we prepared a writ of habeas corpus, which we uh, plan to submit this morning at 8 o'clock. However, when we called at 8 for the purpose of ascertaining the whereabouts of the sheriff for making service, uh, we were informed that Reverend King had been taken down to Reedsville at 4.05 this morning. We felt then, and we feel now, that that was really a death sentence. And not only did he represent him in the courtroom, but he also, through his articulations, made the story known to the world in a very unique way. And... Attorney Hollowell articulated damaging, unconstitutional, at least immoral manner in which Dr. King was being treated. Howard Moore is a civil rights attorney in California. He began working for Mr. Hollowell in 1962, becoming one of his first protégés. Perhaps his summary says it best. Dr. King would not have been released unless there was some legal action taken to release him. And the legal action that was taken to release him was a habeas corpus petition that Horace Ward and Don Hollowell prepared and fought. It was Horace Ward uh, and Don Hollowell who were driving up and down the roadway uh, of Georgia, going back and forth from Atlanta to Reedsville. Mr. Hollowell's courtroom acumen was exemplary but his impact went far beyond his legal trials. Because he was not only uh, a lawyer, he was a role model. He was counselor and, and mentor to young people, lifting up the standards of excellence. He brought into his practice young lawyers, like attorney Vernon Jordan, uh, then attorney Horace Ward, uh, attorney Moore and others, and gave to them an introduction to a lifelong legal practice and leadership. I uh, started working with Hollowell the Monday after I graduated from law school. And we, that first day, we were in Atlanta Municipal Court getting demonstrators out of jail because the civil rights movement was hot. And so it was very exciting. I was the first uh, young law school graduate that uh, Hollowell brought to his office. Horace Ward came in September. 
and we had a very good time. I carried Hollowell's briefcase, I drove his car, I did his research. Uh, I, I studied under him. I was his law clerk, I was his intern, I was his mentee. Don Hollowell's impact was everywhere and on everything. Um, he was he was a gentleman and a master, uh, and more like uh, a Shakespearean actor in the courtroom <laughs> uh, than uh, than the typical lawyers that we saw at that time. But uh, Don Hollowell uh, and Constance Motley uh, were the Shakespeareans. <laughs> And it would always impress me whenever I was in a courtroom in that they would quote, not only would they quote the cases, but when the lawyers or the judges would run to send the law clerks to pick up the volume to check the case, uh, they'd say, you'd find that on page 365, Your Honors. You know, I mean, they were, they were right on the case. And you just felt proud sitting in the courtroom watching them uh, handle things. That is what Attorney Hollowell brought to uh, the civil rights movement, but not just the civil rights movement, but to the whole nation. His contribution cannot be exaggerated. I think the movement would have been a failure without the presence, the support of great lawyers like Attorney Hollowell. And I hope we will give to the next generation a wider view and a greater understanding of the roles and the contributions of persons like Attorney Donald L. Hollowell. Donald Lee Hollowell, a hidden legal figure that changed America. Hidden legal figure. Next week, Black History Month meets Perry Mason. Tune in to see how the case of the skeleton's closet fits Black history. That and more will be part of our next episode. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for Hidden Legal Figures, the podcast. In partnership with the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, the Arc of Justice Institute is developing a traveling exhibit to recognize the heroic and vital contributions lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. Under the Color of Law will premiere in 2021. To learn more, visit www.onthearc.net.